Well, hey, podcast pals, it's uh, Pastor Mark Driscoll here saying thank you for tuning in. I've had the honor of teaching the Bible for around 30 years. Happy to report I got my cancel card about a decade ago. Nice to get that out of the way. And now I'm back in uh, zombie mode, man. You can't kill me. And if you would do me a solid, I could really use your help. Number one, rate this podcast. Everybody gives me one in five star reviews. I need you to give me a five star. In addition, uh, review the podcast. Tell them it's good, it's helpful, it's fun, it's authentic, it's genuine, it's down the fairway, it's all about Jesus. And uh, share it. Uh, Let your friends know. Let your family know. And if you want to trigger your enemies, let them know too. I've been triggering woke joke folks since the mid-90s and glad to keep up the fight. All right. And without further ado today, we have a very special guest, a man that I have been listening to his sermons for a very long time, but especially recently. And I'm very interested to have a conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Mark Driscoll is here. Pastor Mark, how are you? Doing good, buddy. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I I have been following you for a very long time, your sermons for a very long time. And I especially love this new approach. Well, not new, but this this very direct approach that you've been on for about the past year or so now. And you've got your new book, um, New Days, Old Demons that have come out. We'll get to the Amazon debacle and everything that happened there with you and stuff. But I just want to pick your brain, you know, uh, you know, New Days, Old Demons, right? So we're talking about things that the church, especially the new church in America today, seems to want to kind of just gloss over and glance over. And we've have such this watered down version of Christianity today that people don't really want to address the real issues in our society, in our world, in our culture, which is evil. That is what we are dealing with in our culture today. You have decided to, in my opinion, do it the right way and attack this head on. What led to you being such a leader in the forefront of calling this what it is. This isn't politics. This isn't social culture of, you know, uh, just rebellion or whatever. No, this is, this is demonic evil things that are going on in our society right now. What led you down this road to go this way? Um, well, I think politically and socially and culturally, the nation is really torn. Where are you going to go right or are you going to go left? And as Christians, we don't think left, right. We think north, south. For us, at the end of the day, when all is said and done, if you believe the storyline of the Bible, that there's only two cultures in the end, hell and heaven. That's it. So we live in the middle today, and every day we make decisions. Are we pulling hell up or are we inviting heaven down? And the culture we live in has chosen literally to pull the culture of hell up. It's a culture of lying. It's a culture of death. It's a culture of brokenness. It's a culture of dependency. Uh, it's a non-binary, sexually progressive, confused, um, you know, genitalia mutilating, child, you know, assaulting culture. And as a Christian, you've got to get out of the left and right. and You've got to get to the north and south. And so for us, it's like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the culture of heaven? And in the church, should we not be advocating for uh, God's people being a countercultural kingdom and a little outpost of heaven where we live heaven down. We do not live hell up. And to me, that's the big issue. And I think most Christians sense that. And even on the left and right, um, they're missing the big solution. And that is until Jesus is Lord and the Holy Spirit comes down, the feces and fan just continue to interface. That's the way that it is. Yeah. So one, I, I agree completely. I, a little bit about my past two years. So, you know, obviously I, I've gained this platform that I have through politics and talking about society and culture, but it was always through a biblical worldview, right? I mean, yep. it's just my upbringing and things, but, but I wasn't, I wasn't just just flamboyantly adamant about it. Like I am a Christian. This is evil. We are fighting against this. So two years ago, I decided to run for Congress. And, and, and I always like to say, you know, I know, you know, Charlie and everybody, like I always like to say that I knew about 50% behind the door, behind the veil that was the evil of, you know, politics and the, the, you know, things like that. And then when I decided to run, 
I, I think the door opened like 8% more and I saw 58%, but that 8% yep. was such a dark, evil, horrific thing that when obviously I'm not a congressman, uh, President Trump and asked me to step aside and it was what it was. But when I got out of there, I couldn't unsee what I had seen. I can't un unknow what I know and, and I can't unhear what I've heard. I can't unsee what I've seen. And yep. it led me down this road where I was just like, okay, God, you know, what is it you're wanting me to do? Because I can't do just that anymore. Like I can't do just that because that's a lie. That's not really going to work. And, and, and honestly, I, I can't just go work at a church because I don't agree <laughs> with 98% of the way that churches are doing it these days. We saw the cowardice during COVID. We've seen uh, the acceptance of churches with the LGBTQ community. And, and now uh, I heard John Cooper, a good friend of mine from Skillet, on his show the other day, he's talking about the rot of Christian worship, where now Christian artists are using perverse and 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 uh, obscene language in their worship songs. Now, um, I, I can't do that. So, 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 what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do that? And it's led me on this journey of rediscovering people like yourself, and and it's led me down this journey of kind of into this taboo subject, even within Christianity, which is, which is crazy to me. And, and that's with demons and evil and things like that. And, and I really want to deep dive into that with you for a moment, um, is this belief that Christians believe in God, right? As Christians, we believe yep. that there is a, a supreme God and, and, and he is ruler over all. And, and we believe in angels and we believe in God, but then People don't believe that there can be demons and people don't believe that there can be demonic influence and people don't believe that there can be um, a straight up demonic possession in some people. And people don't believe that, 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 that demonic spirits are real today. And the majority of these people are Christians. And it's it, yeah. it, it, to me, that's the insane part. And so uh, I'm curious your thoughts about this. Why is the church so defiant against this? And why are Christians the ones that seem to attack it the most? So yeah, a recent Associated Press poll said that seven in 10 Americans believe in angels. So most people are still spiritual, but they don't believe in demons. And even the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders on how to treat you know, mental health uh, issues, it mentions your soul zero times. So the world that we live in, it only believes in the physical and material. And if it does believe in the spiritual, it only believes in God and angels. It knows nothing of Satan and demons. And so where I go in New Day's Old Demons, I was preaching through First and Second Kings on the story of Elijah. And what I realized was, if you see the same thing happening in different days with different governments and different leaders, and the storyline there is it's God versus government, if the people are changing, the cultures and times are changing, but the issues are not, then the causation may be spiritual. And so that's where I say new days, old demons. So like in the days of Elijah, you've got Ahab and Jezebel. There's three primary characters. Jezebel is this seductive, controlling, transgender, perverted spirit. All of the ancient artwork depicting her is very pornographic. Those who serve her are castrated eunuchs. They are literally drag queens and transgender. That's exactly Jezebelian spirit. And then Ahab is passive. He is cowardly. He does not lead. He cannot make a decision. And so what happens is, when you the Ahab and, and Jezebel spirits work together, and if and then Jesus says, uh, a few thousand years later, he says uh, a thousand years later he says to the church in uh, Thyatira in Revelation, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. So the same spirit, the Jezebel spirit, is working even after the days of Elijah. Well, you think about it in our day. Do we have a government that is passive and Ahab? It won't protect the southern border. It won't make decisions. It won't rein in the budget. It won't, you know, secure or support the military. It will not support police officers and rule of law. Yes, we have Ahab running the government. And if you tolerate, they will dominate. So now we have the Jezebel spirit running the southern border with sex trafficking and drug trafficking. We have the Jezebel spirit seducing online, perverting an entire generation, genital mutilating children, castrating men. It's the same things. And so 
then against it all is Elijah. And he shows up and he is a prophet of God. He brings down fire from heaven and he's a man's man and an alpha. He's like Rip meets the alone winner is Elijah. And, uh, and he is the guy who stands against it all. And so what we're dealing with today is you're looking at a, a resurgence of these ancient demonic forces. And even in ancient Israel, they would sacrifice their children to Moloch and Chemosh as child sacrifice, and it was government-sanctioned abortion. You're like, well, this is all the same garbage. And so for me, the Bible is timeless, so it's always timely. And I teach my people, our people, not to just look at the Bible, but to look through it and to interpret what's going on in our world through God's Word. And once you do that, everything goes to high-def clarity, black and white becomes color, and you're like, oh, now I see what's going on. And that's where even people will say on the progressive left, like you can't even define wokeism. Well, because it's more of a personality than a philosophy. It's a spirit that's at work in the world. And what happens in the days of Elijah, those demonic spirits are trying to replace God and rule and reign over education. They close the schools over the churches. They literally close the churches. Uh, they overtake government, economics, entertainment, sexuality, family. It is trying to replace God with government. And, 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 and even in the days of Elijah, they closed down the church in the nation of Israel a few years ago. I think it was the Jezebel spirit that closed down the church, not just in Israel, but for the first time in world history, the entire planet closed the church for Easter, and we were dominated by a spirit of fear rather than a spirit of faith. And that spirit of fear got into churches, and once you get that spirit of fear in, it's hard to get it out. So right now, many, if not most churches, especially evangelical, they're soft woke. And hard woke, they'll fly the rainbow flag and the BLM flag and honor pronouns, and, and they've just come out of Satan's closet. But those who are soft evangelical, they will tell you what they're for. They will not tell you what they're against. So it's like, I'm for marriage. Well, who should get married? Well, that's a political issue. No, that's a biblical issue. Well, I'm for life and human flourishing. Well, where are you at on abortion and rule of law and, you know, closed borders? Well, you know, I don't want to get in trouble or make controversy. And so the soft woke pastors are the most deceptive because they are just freaking cowards at their core and they're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And usually they've got some soft woke or woke government that's over them in the local church or in the denomination. They don't have freedom. And as a result, most pulpits are pathetic instead of prophetic. And honestly, I'm just freaking sick of it and I can't handle it anymore. So I decided that I would just pull out my cancel culture card that I earned about a decade ago, go into zombie mode, say whatever the frick I want, and then you can just pound sand or send an email. We've got a team standing by ready to delete your email as our ministry. <laughs> so well, that's where I'm at. No, no, no. I, I, I love it because there, there, I believe that we're in a time where righteous anger is necessary. Um, I, if you're not pissed, you're not paying attention. Exactly. I, I tell everybody, you know, I was in the army for 12 years and, and I, you know, I, I've had the privilege of, of going and, you know, uh, speaking to, uh, you know, Christian leaders like yourself, uh, and things. And, and the main conversation I have is, the church as a whole, the Christian church, and I realize that we've got different denominations and all the above, but, but let's, just, let's just for a moment, for the sake of an argument, just say the Christian church, we agree that this is the good news of the gospel of Christianity, Christ, or God is all sovereign, all powerful. Jesus was born of a Virgin Mary, uh, lived a sinless life, uh, crucified for our sins, raised on the third day. Uh, um, uh, the, the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. If we can agree on the certain tenets of Christianity, right? Let's just, yeah. just for a minute, for an argument's sake. I believe that we are in a time where, from a military perspective, we're not in maritime peace, peacekeeping operations these days. Right no. now, we are losing the battle. Christians are losing the battle. Less people believe in God, period, today than they and ever less have. Less people are going to church and less people are taking their faith seriously. And yeah, I mean, absolutely. All the statistics are down into the left. Everything is down into the left. Yeah. So my question is, what is the line between, because this is what people get with me all the time. 
is um, I'm judgmental. I am stirring the pot. I am starting conflict. I am, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be meek and I'm supposed to be loving of everyone and, and all of the above. And and my, my my response to that is probably not the best one. Like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. I don't have the temperament for that type of thing. You know, my thing is if I love you, I, I have no problems making you upset with me. <laughs> like, like, like if I really love somebody, I'm going to tell you the truth, whether that makes you mad at me or not, because I love you so much that I do not care if you are upset because I see what's going on. What is the line that Christians, where is the difference between righteous anger, and this is what we should be going after and we should be attacking this, versus the whole turn the, <clears throat> turn the other cheek thing, you know, and, you know, Jesus hung out with sinners and, and, and all of the above. Where's the line there? Well, the Bible says that the gospel is offensive. I mean, it just says it. And so people are like, oh my gosh, you triggered me. You're like, well, that's what the gospel does, you know? And it says that you're the problem, not the solution, that you're a sinner, that you need a savior, and that if you do what you want, you will be kindling forever and you need God to save you from yourself. For the average person who thinks that self-esteem is the highest outcome of humanity, that's offensive, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says real clear, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul spends time in prison and starts riots. Back to Elijah. The dude has a bounty on his head and he is a man's man and a dude of dudes. Prophets were not liked people in the Bible. They were not like he people called down all. fire from heaven and then he slaughtered the prophets of Baal. I mean, imagine today if, you know, any Christian influencer, you know, slit the throats of 400 apostates live on YouTube. I mean, you know, that's what Elijah did. And, and so this is like the some of the Bible is not the safe for the whole family verse of the day doesn't quite fit into a veggie tale and would make a very troubling flannel graph in the basement of the Baptist church. And so to me, if we're going to teach the Bible, let's teach the whole thing. John the baptizer comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's so much like Elijah, they think he is Elijah. So, you know, I just, I'm just at the point where if we're going to quote a few verses, let's not overlook the dark ones that make it uncomfortable in our homeschool co-op. Let's just go full throttle with the entire word of God from beginning to end. Then you've got the prophets who are, whoa, they're calling down curses. You got the book of Revelation, which looks like a cage metal death fight on Halloween with knives. I mean, the, the Bible from beginning to end, I've been teaching through books of the Bible for about 30 years. And I try not to skip verses and I try to deal with it all. And I just think that the average Christian is biblically illiterate. And what they're getting fed from the pulpit is literally just baby food. And as a result, they're not very strong. We feel need more good, uh, feel good nuggets, some people would call well, it. Well, it's huh? like self-help. Like, I'll be honest with you. Self is my problem. I need God help. And I don't need to just feel better. I need to get better. And so, you know, if you really love people, you don't want to apologize for things that God says because those things are good for those people. But even like the Elijah series, and right now I'm in Jude, and the, th the theme of Jude is contend for the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints, Jude 3. It's a military word where a uh, high-ranking commander gives uh, a field order to a soldier to go to battle and war, you know, and our war is not against flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, and spirits. Take every thought captive. That's a military term of taking a prisoner of war to Christ. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. You know, I mean, you don't have to look far in the Bible to realize there are guys who, they don't pick the fight. And here's the big idea for Christians. We shouldn't be picking the fights, but we shouldn't be losing the fights. And if they bring the fight to your family, if they bring the fight to your church, if they bring the fight to your school, if they bring the fight to your local school board, feel free to have the fight. And if you love God, don't lose the fight. We're not bullies looking for fights. But in the same way, if somebody knocks on the door of your house and has ill intent for your family, it's a very bad day to be them. No, no, I agree 100%. I think that Christians, Christianity, the church, the big C church, uh, you know, the Christians that are walking out of the Sunday service, I think we've been seceding ground for so long. Uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, I don't agree with everything Jordan Peterson says. I don't agree with, you know, every take he has on Christianity. He's a very intellectual guy, but he has a statement that I do agree with very much that when you secede just a little bit of ground 
And then you go into this uh, passive aggressive, as you called it, um, uh, spirit. You, you, you succeed a little more and then a little more and then a little more and a little more. And then the next thing you know, you're 15 miles away from where you even started in the first place. And then you don't even know what you stand for anymore. So I agree. I, I don't think that Christians should be out there with pitchforks, like knocking on people's houses. But at the same way, like we know what truth is. We know what the absolute truth is. And we should not be backing down and surrendering any ground in any way. And if that leads to a conflict, it leads to a conflict. We didn't start it, but we know who actually ends it. And it's God and it's the word of God in the Bible. So why do we have so many crypt? Let me say, let me say a personal thing. I, I went to NRB this past year. First year I've ever been invited, never been invited ever before, been too divisive to this, to that. But you know, the tide seems to be turning just ever so slightly due to people like yourself and, and, and the few people that are trying to do it the right way. So I get to NRB and, and I'm talking to, you know, uh, spiritual leaders there and I'm saying, you know, if I can, if I can be honest with you for a moment, I said, I feel like we need to redefine as Christians what our version of ministry is. And, and everybody looked at me kind of funny, and I would love your thoughts on this. I said, when when, when we think of the word ministry now, you think of uh, being a pastor, starting a church, being an evangelist, a missionary, um, you know, uh, orphanages and things like that. But what about like you've said, Elijah, what about the prophets of the worlds today? What about the people whose ministry is to go out there and say, hey, do you not see what is going on? Do you not see the evil that is here? Do you not know how bad we are messing this up? Do you not know that we need to turn back from God? Do you not see this? And I told him, I said, you have so many, you know, Christian conservative influencers or, or, or on-air voices, etc., truth tellers, as I like to call us that are going out there and taking the arrows. And we've been out there for so long on our own, just, just taking these arrows. You know, I burned my boats a long time ago for my faith, what I believe, etc. If I lose all this tomorrow, I can't go get a job. <laughs> like, where am I going to go to work? What, what, what am I going to do? When is the church going to start recognizing that Ministry and fighting for uh, souls looks a lot more like people going out and and attacking, either fit, literally or or metaphorically, attacking the evil that's going on. Versus, it only happens behind church doors, and that's the only place that ministry actually takes place. And I'm not saying that I'm anything special. I, I'm really not saying that. There's guys that do it a lot better than me. But, but, but it becomes like you, you said you're fed up. People like me are fed up too. We're like, well, dang, man, if you're not going to help us, then we're just going to do it ourselves, <laughs> you know, and we're, and, and we're going to go, you know, and, but, but we're looking for spiritual guidance to make us better, but people don't want to touch us within the church with a 10 foot pole because we're too divisive. I, I know that was really long, but I'd love your thoughts about, <laughs> about all of that. So back to Elijah, um, King Ahab says, you're the troublemaker in Israel. And honestly, for some people, their ministry is making trouble. And that's what they do. And that's a prophetic ministry. So prophets come out of the woods, not the institution. They're free. They don't, you, you, it's hard to cancel them because no one owns them. And within Christianity or within the history of our faith, all the way back to the Jewish people, God has always had prophets from the margins who were a bit eccentric, oftentimes very creative, and also saying things that upset the status quo in the institution. And so today what we're seeing is, I think a lot of those prophetic voices have moved online because they're not welcome in the church. And part of the issue with the Christian church in the West, it is not built for men. It is built for women and children. And I, I have a wife, I have five kids, I have a grandson, I have a grandson on the way, I pastor, one of the most remarkable churches with the most incredible people that I love with my whole heart. But at the end of the day, if you get the men, you lose the war. If you lose the men, you lose the war. And, and what happens is, I mean, I could tell, you know, for certain guys that are alphas, you walk in, you're like, that's a beta. You know, I'm an Elijah, you're an Elijah. You walk in, you're like, 
dudes in Ahab. You know, I had a guy come up to me recently. He said, uh, he said, I've been looking for a church for many years. He said, I have one criteria. I was like, what's that? He said, if I walked up and slapped the pastor, would he take it or come at me? I mean, <laughs> and that's uh, good. That's good. Yeah, I, yeah that's a good question. Yeah, he's yeah, like, he's like, he's like I'm going to go to your church. I was like, well, do, you don't have to slap me. I promise you, I will come at you. So everybody needs some good news. Our world is filled with nothing but bad news. The good news is the Bible tells us not just what happened, but what always happens. And we don't just need to look at the Bible. We can look through it and make perfect and total sense of this weird woke world in which we live. I've been preaching God's Word for about 30 years, and I want to let you know that real faith is independent, free, and a voice that is prophetic in a world that is pathetic. And I want to thank you for your partnership. We are 100% supported by ministry partners like you. You can't cancel us. We don't have advertisers. We don't have publishers. You can go pound sand because people like you pay the bills. Go to realfaith.com slash donate, give your best gift and help me keep up the good fight. You know, it's, it's but, but at the end of the day, what happened was is during the world wars, you're a soldier, during the world wars, uh, the able-bodied strongest best men, the Elijahs and Alphas, they were all deployed largely overseas. During that time, there were no young, strong men in church. Church was older men, women, and children. So in the absence, you got older men who were more like grandfathers and therapists. They were encouragers. And then the women took over the church. So now the songs, the decor, the programming, it feels more feminine. And also they're building programs for women and children. Well, then all the men come back from war and they're like, you know, I had a, I had a group of buddies that I fought with. We had a mission. We had an enemy. We had a band of brothers. I come back to church. It doesn't feel quite right. And so ever since that time, the church has been largely built for women and children and men do not go. And, and, and now what we're seeing is with the absence of good husbands and fathers, we're seeing that the government is replacing fathers. So, you know, my favorite shirt that we have is more fathers, less government. And my, my thesis is that women feel comfortable in a masculine environment if it's not angry and aggressive men do not feel comfortable in a feminine environment. It's why my wife will go to a sports bar or a game with me, but I will not go to the nail salon with her. And so most churches, when you walk in, you're like, this ain't for me. And uh, the dude leading this ain't like me. And so the question then is, how do we get the men, especially the young men? So like at our church, one of our biggest ministries is men's. It's called Real Men. I have got an army of men. I mean, we have to go to two nights. We don't even fit in the building. And now I'm seeing, you know, like 300,000 young men a week tune in. And I'm just doing the dad verbal process download that I've done with my three sons who are now, you know, one's married, one's engaged, one's a senior. And it's a whole generation of guys who are like, okay, on the left, here's what they offer me. Uh, cut your uh, genitals off, um, bedazzle your life. Uh, have mental health, uh, wear a mask, get a jab, sit home, you know, downloading porn, vaping, watching, you know, um, disconnected, isolated, video alone. Games, yeah. and then just be dependent on your mother into your mid thirties, you know, and, and at the end of the day, if you're a young man, you're like, is there anything else? You know, is there anything else? And it's like, yeah, there is. That's why the latest report that came out said for the first time since I think it was 1970 or 1975, the majority of 12th grade boys are conservative. Praise God, because they're looking at it saying, I don't want to cut my sack off and, uh, you know, drink Bud Light and spend my days, you know, declaring my victimhood while the government pays my bills. I mean, you want, if you're a man, God put greatness in you, you know, and Paul says that men are the glory of God. And when you call that out of a man, especially a young man, you give him his dignity back. He's like, hey, I, I got something to live for. I got a wife. I got a kid. I got a, I got a calling. I got a job. We need a generation of young men to be activated. So you get into the church, you're like, where's the freaking men? And where are the strong men? And where are the good men? And the men who have been built up to bless women and children. And if you walk in, you're like, good Lord, this looks like the sons of Elton John. Of course, you're not going to stick around. They're good on the keys. But other than that, they're good for nothing. Right. 
No, no, I like that. I, I really like, <clears throat> I like the back history there a little bit where, where you talk about how the church changed during the world wars. Uh, in one of my books, I talk about it from more of a societal perspective where I talk about, <clears throat> Uh, basically I call it, uh, garages and, uh, TV dinners ruined America It, it is kind of like the chapter. And it talks about how, you know, back in the day, uh, businesses closed at a certain time and <clears throat> that, you know, you, uh, you didn't have a garage unless you were super rich. And so most people got home generally around the same time. They all parked on the street. They had to see people. Hey, John, how you doing? Da, 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 da. It led to interaction. And now people have garages. It, you know, people get home from work. They go straight in the garage. They shut the door. They order DoorDash and they watch Netflix. It's isolation and alone. You brought up something that I really want to talk about. <clears throat> and that is something that I am seeing. I've got uh, older nieces that are now dating. Uh, one's married. One could be engaged here soon. Who knows or whatever. And I have a big problem with a lot of these people that they're dating. <laughs> because just it seems to me that we are constantly, you know, back like you said, World War II, at 14, 15 years old, you were a man at that point. Like, I mean, you had people lying about their age at 15 to go storm the beaches of Normandy. And then it became, well, you're not an adult till you're 18. And now it's like, well, you know, actually you're not really an adult till you're 21. And oh, now the studies actually show, you know, your, your, your brain isn't fully developed and all the chemicals are balanced until you're about 25 and so on and so on. We seem to be making people children for longer periods of time these days. Um, I, I come from a broken home. I was raised by my grandparents, my maternal grandparents. And so they raised me very much like it was 1930. All right. And, and so, you know, there is zero, zero chance they would not go to jail today <laughs> because of uh, the discipline <laughs> that I got zero chance. Uh, but, but I knew, and a lot of people get mad at me about this because I I'm open with everybody. I tell my sons right off the bat, cause they're my oldest. Um, uh, I said, Hey, I said, uh, you better have a plan and because that's what my grandparents told me. I love you and I ain't going to let you starve or sleep underneath a bridge, but you better have a plan. Like you better know what you're doing when you graduate or when you turn 18 years old. Yeah, get activated. Move forward, man. Yeah, you better have a plan and you better figure this thing out. Is it, I'm curious your thoughts because this is leaning into the debate of um, Christianity at dealing with demonic uh, oppression and things like this. You talk about the Ahab spirit. Do you think that Christians are allowing an Ahab spirit into their homes and things like this by by raising these beta males that that think, oh, as long as you know, I just whatever, I can stay at mom and dad's house till I'm 25 or 26 years old, and and oh, I can be a YouTuber or a TikToker, and I never have to leave the house and do all this kind of stuff. Do do, do you think that there are Christians that are um, able to be demonically or evil oppressed that um, that have accepted Jesus that they that they can be oppressed by demonic entities and things like that be, and and do you believe that that is one of the causations for this beta wave of young adults that seem to be coming along yeah we created a life stage called adolescence and it used to be you were a boy and then you're a man and usually in most cultures there's a some sort of rite of passage where the men say now you are one of us you know and now what we've done is we've extended adolescence. The average guy is over 30 if and when he gets married. Um, at that point, he's got so many addictions and dysfunctions that he's, you know, he's barely even pe peering out the sphincter to follow the light at that point. He's been so far head up, you know. So at, at that point, you've got a whole generation of guys that literally they've taken about a decade and they've just wasted it rather than investing it. And, and a lot of these guys were over mothered, under fathered. And if you have a, this is going to be offensive. At some point in the interview, we always offend. We're officially there. The, the loving, overbearing, domineering, fear-based, homeschool, controlling religious moms want to make sure that Johnny never has to do anything difficult, which means Johnny will never get strong. Life is like the gym. It's the, it's the resistance that builds the strength. If you remove the resistance, all you get is just weakness and brokenness. And so 
the good news is the church is the only place left. There's a national organization for women. There's not a national organization for men. We're now talking about toxic masculinity. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, well, our God is Jesus Christ. We know what a good man looks like. And so we understand healthy masculinity. I'm telling you, the church is the only hope we got. I mean, if you're a guy and you're like, okay, I, you know, I want to get married. I want to get a job. I want to have kids. Like I want to do what every other guy in the history of the world um, before this complete woke apostate agenda entered into Western civilization, where do you go? Go to the church, man. That's where you got to go. Only if the men are there though, are we able to help? And so for me, I mean, I've got a son who's 17. He's a senior. I got a son who's 21. I'm going to officiate his wedding uh, here in a couple of weeks. I got a son who um, it's his birthday day, turns 24, just had his first son. And so like with my three sons, I'm like, Hey boys, here's the good news. Everybody else is in the pits. If you can just get your car on the track and start getting a few laps in, you're decade ahead. So I'm like, hey, they're all getting married at 21. They're buying a house. They're having kids. They're doing ministry. And it'll be another decade before the rest of the guys even find the keys to their car to get out of the pits. So I'm like, hey, at this point, you don't even need to be impressive. You just need to get up while it's still single digits on the clock, find a pair of pants, show up to work and try and you're a freaking unicorn. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I also, I also, me and my wife are very much on similar pages. Uh, she is, <clears throat> she deals with uh, trauma, sexual assault victims and things like that. We have a, we, we have a charity that deals with that kind of thing. So she always leans more to the grace side. I, I am not as extreme as, <clears throat> you know, my family was that led to me being raised by my grandparents, but I'm very much, you know, I think that we have this weird thing where that there's naturally this thing that needs to occur between fathers and sons because sons, 100%. sons need to have that innate sense in them that they want to be in charge. They want to be the leaders. They want to this, which is going to lead to, which is going to lead to conflict eventually, because, you know, at some point, a son will challenge a father, you know, at some point, you know, uh, there will be tensions, there will be this, but all of that outside of obviously the extremities people before you clip this and say that we're about abusing your kids and things like that. It's not what I mean. What I mean is, Sons need to know, no, dad is the boss. Dad is in control. You know, this is the head of the household. If, if you want to do it your own way and do it better then be a man, grow up, go get a job and then do it better than I did. That, that's what I tell my sons all the time. Whenever we have disagreements of, oh, this isn't fair. Or, oh, well you get to blah, blah, blah. Hey, I love you more than anything in this world. If you think you can do it better than me, you got about five more years and then you can, you know, you can go do it better than I do. And, and, and I think that's healthy. I think men, boys, men, you know, adolescent, puberty, everything. I think they need to know that, Hey, this life is hard out there. And, and, and if you think that I'm going to take it easy on you here, once you get to a certain point, I think all we're doing is setting up the future men of our society to be weak, frail, apologies if you wear them, skinny jeans people <laughs> that, that just walk around and just, just let women be the head of the households and, you know, oh, well, you know, whatever your mother says, that's what we're going to do. It, we, we just, to me, we need to, we need to get back to showing men what being a man is actually about. Absolutely. And there was a study that came out that says literally – uh, statistically, from those who are unbelievers, masculinity is learned from your father. You pick it up. And so the best, yeah, so, and so you got a whole generation of guys, like if they didn't have a father, then they need a father figure, a spiritual father, like Paul was with Timothy and Titus and Onesimus. And so, you know, there was a certain point, I love my wife with all my heart, you know, next Tuesday, we celebrate 31 years of faithful marriage. She's an incredible woman. But there was a certain point with each of our boys, I was like, babe, I got this. You know, like, I mean, I got this at this point, like he's now taller than you and his voice is dropping and uh, you think he's being disrespectful. What he's trying to be is differentiated. Learn how to not just be mama's little boy, but grow up to be a man. That's where I tap in and I want to put courage in and I want to help my guys make good plans and I want to help them to succeed. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm like, you're a grown man and, and you've got to figure out your own path. And by God's grace, I had, I had no prodigals, I had no rebels. Everybody loves Jesus. Everybody's serving Jesus. My boys all want to be pastors. They're all in ministry. And people are like, how do you do that? Well, I always, I've always said it this way. Men are like trucks. They drive straighter with the load. You know, if you've ever driven a two-wheel drive truck in the rain, you know, if you don't have a load in it, the rear end is all over the place. Once you load it down, it goes straighter. And so young men are like trucks. And that's where the Bible says it's good for a man to carry the load while he's young. And so load him up with responsibility, not enough to break the axle, but enough to strain the tranny, you know, enough that they're like, man, I'm having to work for this. And there's something in a young man that he knows that he's built for responsibility, for conflict, for growth, and he wants that. So like even this summer, my my 17-year-old son, he went out of state, joined a construction company for the summer and interned at a church. So like, he's a minor. I can't, he can't rent a house or a car, uh, but he's gonna learn how to frame. He's gonna learn how to ride a backhoe, drive a backhoe. He's learning how to, I mean, right now he's working on his vehicles and flipping trucks and he's 17 and he's like, hey dad, I, you know, I love you. We're good. He's like, I, I've been in your house my whole life. I need to go. It's like, well, you're not even old enough to legally go, but okay, we'll send you. You know, he's just, he's figuring out who he is and he's taking on responsibility and he's making his own money and he's fixing his own car and he's trying to figure out how to build his own house. And I'll tell you, that's, that's a whole lot better than, you know, just getting online and just, you know, fiddling over your pronoun. I mean, it's just, it's so stupid. I mean, and, and I know that those who are progressive and on the left will say, this is so offensive. We'll just say this. You're an idiot. You're an absolute idiot. If you take any of this seriously, it's, it's just, it's buffoonery at its best. There comes a point where, <clears throat> and I got in a lot of trouble a little while ago. I can't remember what it was, but you know, I was talking against uh, the military with this transgender Navy recruiter like thing that they were doing. And oh, yeah, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, know, the majority of vets are conservative, yeah. heterosexual, alpha males built for the fight. You're like, hey, let's put up, you know, the it has the me concerned. Guys. It has me very concerned. And so, so, so I spoke out about it. And honestly, in the grand scheme of the things that I've said in my 10 years of doing this, it was very, it was very light, but, but, but it got us everywhere plastered, New York post, New York times. I know, you know, it, you know, every once in a while you hit something and you're just everywhere. My question to you is this, and, and I'm, and I'm switching here cause I want to be respectful of your time is, is about where we are. And, and I heard you talking about this with Charlie. And so I'm going to hit you with it a little bit as well. You hear so many people talk about the end times. You hear so many Christians talk about, well, I mean, it's only a matter of time before, you know, Jesus comes back now. So I guess we might as well just let whatever is going to happen, happen, because Jesus is on his way back and, and things like that. I guess my questions to you are two. One, <clears throat> do you, other than the obvious answer, yes, we're in the end times because Jesus has already come and died on the cross and rose again. So technically, yes, <laughs> you know, we're in the end yeah. time. Uh, do you believe that we're in the end times? And And two, if that is true, it, is that a free pass for us as Christians just to just puh and just sit around and do nothing? Well, no. So the Bible talks about, you know, the last days of the end times is the time between the first and second coming of Jesus. He comes first time in humility, comes second time in glory, comes first time to die for our sins, comes second time to destroy sinners. So we're waiting for the king and the kingdom and the resurrection of the dead and the lifting of the curse. And, and Jesus rules over everyone and everything. And we have no more freaking elections. And finally, we'll have a senior political leader who can handle stairs. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> yes. I can't wait, wait for, for Jesus, Jesus to, to come, come back. back. <laughs> now, the point is, how close are we to that end? Well, it's been 2,000 years. It could be two minutes. It could be 2,000 years. And to me, the Christians that are just like, well, Jesus is coming back in 15 minutes. To me, like, I don't know about you, like, I'm a football fan. And when there's two minutes left on the clock, I mean, that's when it matters. That's when the game is won or lost. So to me, it's like, we only have two minutes on the clock. Well, then you better run the hurry up offense and pound the ball and put points on the board because the game's going to be over soon. 
And I believe in eternal rewards. I believe that people will be punished in hell for their evil and people will be rewarded in heaven for their obedience. And I don't know about you, like I want to put points on the board and I want to stand before Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Like I want to walk into the kingdom with a limp, exhausted and a black eye and Jesus go, hey man, you fought the good fight just like I told you to right up until the whistle. And, and so to me, you know, that's, it's stupid. It's like, it's like a, it's like a sports team that, you know, it's the, it's the last few minutes of the game and they're like, well, it's almost over. So we'll quit now. It's like, no, this is actually when you need to be the most active. Yeah. Last night, you know, one, I'm a football fan as well, but baseball was number two. And so last night I was watching the Braves game, very similar. Looked like we were going to lose Top of the ninth, three-run inning, bam, come back and win the game. You know, it's never over till it's over kind of thing. I believe, like you, I believe in the two judgments. A, did you know the Lord? And B, what did you do with the life that the Lord gave you kind of thing? And so I— Judgment of rewards, not salvation, but rewards, you know? And so, you know, the Christian who does love Jesus and does and says nothing versus the one who's active, I think there's going to be different rewards in the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you. I don't know what those rewards are. I just know this. If Jesus is handing out prizes for guys who did their job, I want to try and be a guy who does his job. Yeah, I want it. I want it. So, okay. So to end this out, um, because I know your time is valuable. I, I know, I know you got a, you, you got a clock and, and I do as well, but, but I definitely want to bring you back on because I feel like we could have a whole series talking about, uh, you know, new days, old demons, because this is something that I've really, uh, admittedly, I was born and raised assemblies of God, always believed in, you know, evil and demons, but, but at the same time, you know, it was this, this, well, you know, I'm a Christian, you know, I don't have to worry about that. (laughs) You know, I'm a Christian. I believe in, in, in the Lord and everything. And, and obviously this is a direction that, that's really opened my eyes as I've matured myself in my faith and, and as a man and the things that I have seen, like, like that's the thing that kills me about people today. How can you see what's going on and not be like, Oh, maybe, maybe there's a spiritual element to all this stuff. It feels like we may have a dark enemy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It feels like maybe, maybe there's something dark and evil at the heart of all this stuff. My questions to you to, to, to end this out are, for because we had we had a conversation right before we started, and, and I won't get into specifics of it, but 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 there's a lot of people out there that listen to you, that listen to me, that that are seeing and hearing and knowing the same things that we're seeing, hearing, and knowing, but they don't know what to do about it, and they don't know where to go. And there's a lot of people across the nation. I've had these conversations as you have as well. It's a lot of people across the nation that have just puh, churches, spiritually dead, non-truth telling churches, what do people need to do? Because they see what's going on. Like, like, like they know it's there and they know their family needs to be in church and they know they need to be doing more, but they don't know where to even start. What, what would your message be to those, to those listeners right now? Yeah. And, um, I mean, I love the church. I, I've been a, a pastor most of my adult life and, we planted a church together as a family, a Trinity Church here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And uh, we served together as a family. And it's a beautiful, wonderful, happy church. I mean, it is. And so for me, I look at the days of Noah when everybody's just rebelling and drinking and just carousing. And what did Noah do? He built an ark for his family and he invited others to come on it. Jesus says in the last days, they'll be like the days of Noah. And the question is, if you're a husband and father, how do you build an ark for your family? You're like, you know what? I'm probably not going to save the White House, but I need to save my house. I may not save the, the culture, but the culture of my home can be different. So first and foremost, it's how do you build an ark for your family and encourage other people if they want to join you to do life with you? It leaves two questions, and that is, um, do you need to move to find a church? If God's people and worship and friends for your marriage and friends for your kids and spouses someday for your kids to marry. All my kids, they all served in church with the person they married. I'm telling you, if you're serving Jesus together, that's probably the best foundation. So if you're looking at it saying, we don't have a good church. Well, if church is a priority, I think some people need to move and they are. There is a mass migration going on, especially post-COVID. Because the thing with COVID was we didn't know who the cowards were until COVID came. 
And then as soon as it's like, hey, uh, did you register for church? Here's a blue dot on the floor for six feet and here's a mask. It's like, okay, well, thanks for making it easy. We know who all the cowards are. Um, and then the other thing is, is if, if you don't move for a church, is there a church near you that has a good leader? Maybe he's got bad governance. Maybe he's got a bad board. They need support. They need you to come alongside. They need you to, to help. Is there a church plant in your area that somebody does have some courage that you could be a part of? And or for some people, it literally is like, do we need to just find God's people and start a church of some sort or kind? Because uh, if you can't find one, you may need to start one. And I do know a lot of people that are moving. I do know people who are trying to help pastors and churches get up and going. But I do know some significant leaders who are just like, if I can't find somebody to follow, maybe God's calling me to be the leader. And so that's what we're seeing. And I, I think what you're seeing is the denominations are pretty much all going south and to the left. The networks are going south and to the left because Ahab always gets to be the boss. That's the way that it works. And if you're an Elijah, you're like, I can't follow an Ahab. And so I've got to maybe start my own thing. And so for me, I mean, I was willing to go to church and, you know, but then my family was literally, my, my teenage sons called them, my, my sons called the meeting and their family meeting, dad, seven years ago, we need to plant a church. We can't find one we're really excited about. We miss your Bible teaching. We want to do it with you. And so I planted a church with my kids, but especially with my sons, just because they wanted a church to go to. So dad planted a church for us and now it's exploded. I mean, we don't even fit in our building. We got to figure out what to do. So many other people are just, they're dying and they're starving and they don't even know it until they show up and they're like, oh, the Bible was taught and the people were happy and the guy didn't apologize for the scriptures. He proclaimed them. They're like, okay, that's my church. And so there's a great opportunity for those who have courage and those who have clarity because it is such a pitiful minority. I couldn't agree more. Um, Amazon tried to keep it off, but it's on there now. Your book, uh, New Days, Old Demons, is uh, is it available everywhere now? Is that where people can go? Yeah, realfaith.com. If you go to realfaith.com, the sermons are there. The book is there. Amazon's got it. There's no publisher, so you can't cancel me. There's no endorsement, so you can't attack my friends. And I'm not taking any money from it. I'm giving it away to the ministry, so you can't question my motives. So you know, to me, it's just a prophetic word that I believe God wanted me to say. I've said it. And if it helps people, great. And when you think of the demonic, too oftentimes we think of like the exorcism or Rosemary's baby, an individual. I want to look at the demonic culturally is what's going on in our world, because this world is governed by Satan, who is the God of this world. And if so, how do we understand what's going on in the culture? I love it. I love it. And where can they go? Realfaith.com can get the book. Where can they go? Just realfaith.com across the board for you. Pastor Mark. Bible teaching, pastor. Yeah, it's all there. Marriage stuff, parenting stuff, books of the Bible, theology. It's all free. It's all, you know, donor supported. And I just give away Bible teaching. Love it. Absolutely love it. Pastor Mark, I feel like we could talk for five hours. I'll be back on, brother. Pick something. We'll come do it again. We, we got to make this a regular thing. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out Pastor Mark Driscoll. Go to realfaith.com. Get his new book and check out all the amazing teachings that he has. That's all we have for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you all again next time. If you're a dude, you need to learn how to exercise your dominion. This semester at Real Men, I'll be teaching a special series, Dominion for Dudes. If you pick up the Bible and just get a page or two in, you're going to learn that your God has dominion. You're his son. He has delegated his authority to you. You need to be a dude who stops making excuses and starts making plans to use his authority to exercise your dominion over your life, your body, your finances, your family, your marriage, your legacy, your soul, and your future. If you're a good man, you're gonna get better. If you're a bad man, you're gonna get fixed. And if you're a woke man, you're gonna get triggered.